Good morning, everybody. Happy Easter. It's great to see you. The tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. And that's what we're here to celebrate together today. That's what our, our entire faith uh, centers around this message that we celebrate today in the resurrection. And uh, speaking of things that were dead that have come back to life, man, Michigan in the final championship game. How crazy is that? Uh, so anyway, today I want to focus in on the resurrection story. And usually on Easter Sunday morning, I like to start with the verses that deal with a bunny that's hiding eggs. Um, but I thought today, maybe instead of doing that, I felt like what God was telling me to do is just, just go straight to the resurrection account. And just very simply today, we're just going to look at, in the Gospel of Luke, Luke's version of the resurrection account. And so uh, this is Luke 24 is where we're going to go. And just to give you a little bit of background, it begins with, uh, Luke's resurrection account begins with some women who had been following Jesus for the last few years, and they'd been contributing financially to the movement and, and had been a part of it. They had watched him die. They'd watched him uh, be tortured and put to death by the Romans. And so now it's the third day after he died, and these women are going to the tomb of Jesus with some spices. Now, this was a form of Jewish grieving. We don't really grieve like this in our day or honor a body you know, when, some, when a loved one dies. We don't go and bring spices to their tomb. But basically, the only reason you would do this, the only reason that they would go to the tomb with spices was basically these spices were to anoint the body to help control the smell of decomposition. Okay, so clearly these women are going to the tomb expecting to find a dead body. That's what they're expecting to find. They're expecting to find Jesus dead. They weren't going you know, full of faith, like, hey, I believe I'm gonna experience the resurrection. It's about time. They're going out of a sense of duty, out of a sense of, a, of tradition, out of a sense of grieving and mourning. This is what we do. And so uh, verse one, it says, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, Suddenly, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered his words. Is, is anybody else bothered by the fact in this account that it, it's like the angels say to the women there at the tomb, remember how he told you like repeatedly again and again, I'm gonna go to Jerusalem, I'm gonna be handed over, I'm gonna die and be crucified. And then three days later, I'm gonna rise from the grave. Is that ringing a bell? You, you remember that at any point? And the women are kind of like, oh yeah. That's, that's right. He did say something about that, didn't he? I think he put it on his Instagram once. You follow him, right? I mean, is, is anybody else bothered by, by the fact that that's kind of how the account goes? If I were to say to you, tomorrow, I'm going to be hit by a truck while I'm crossing Plainfield Avenue, and I'm going to die, but don't worry. Three days later, I'm going to rise from the grave. It would be such an insane thing to say, such a crazy statement that you would probably remember it, right? I mean, you would, it would at least kind of make an impression on you. And then if I actually did go and I, I did die tomorrow crossing the road on Plainfield Avenue and a truck really did hit me, uh, then you would probably be kind of weirded out. Like three days later, you'd be kind of like, oh man, 
I wonder, I wonder if he, you know, he was right about that whole truck thing. I wonder if he's actually gonna rise from the grave, right? It seems like a statement like that. And if you read the gospels, Jesus again and again and again with his disciples keeps saying, oh, I'm gonna go to Jerusalem. Have I mentioned they're gonna hand me over when we get there? I'm gonna die on a cross. And then three days later, I'm gonna rise from the grave. Have I mentioned, he just keeps saying it again and again and again. You would think by day three, after everything else came true, you would think they would be like exuberantly expecting the resurrection, right? And yet Jesus' disciples are not. The, the women who followed him are not. They're just going to the tomb to anoint the body with the spices. They're expecting to find a dead body, not the risen, resurrected Jesus. The angels ask this crazy question, which we've already uh, you know, kind of looked at earlier on in the service. The question is, why do you seek the living among the dead? That's the question the angels ask the women. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Why are you looking in, in, in places that clearly contain death for the risen, resurrected Jesus? You know, we, when we do this, right, we look for life in places that are dead. We look for life in relationships that can't possibly deliver on what they promise. Yeah, we, we look for it in money. We look for it in substances. We, we look for life in places that only contain death. And, and so basically the angels are asking, why didn't you expect this to happen? Why do you look for the living among the dead? Jesus clearly said he was gonna be alive at this point. And yet they're not expecting it. They're, they're, not, they're not looking for it. And the reason, or the answer to the question is, well, the reason I didn't look, I'm looking for the living among the dead, the reason I wasn't expecting the resurrection is because uh, in my experience, dead people usually stay in their tombs, right? The death rate hovers right around 100% the last time I checked. That's why I wasn't expecting it. And, and so, you know, maybe you came to church today on Resurrection Sunday the same way those women came to the tomb of Jesus that day. Uh, you're not angry at God, but you're also just kind of ambivalent. You don't have a lot of strong emotion either direction. You're just not expecting very much to actually change in your life. Uh, you're not expecting God to do anything different or for the world to change in any way, shape, or form this morning. Uh, maybe it was a sense of duty or a sense of tradition that got you here today. Just like those women, I mean, it was the third day, and for a Jewish person, well, we should go to the tomb now. Here it is, the third day. We need to go to the tomb. We need to anoint the body of Jesus, because that's what we do. And maybe in the same way you woke up this morning, well, it's, it's Easter Sunday. I should go to church, right? That's what we do. We, we go to church on Easter. And that's not bad. If that, that's got the women to the tomb that morning and they experienced the resurrection. It got you here to church this morning. So it's, it's not a bad thing. But, but here's the question I wanna ask you. I want us all to think about this morning is what if God wants to do something unexpected in your life? What if God actually wants to fulfill his promises to you? What if it isn't just a bunch of religious nonsense? What if God actually wants to surprise you with a resurrection in your life? What if tomorrow doesn't actually have to just look like today? What if you're not just living out this script that's already kind of been decided for you ahead of a time, but what if something actually could change if something could be different? What if God could actually be that good? That's the question I want us to interact with this morning. I want us to think about and so uh, here's what I would propose is the reason 
that the women were not expecting the resurrection, that the, all the disciples were not looking for it to happen. I think they didn't expect the resurrection because they didn't really understand the message. Even to the point of Jesus' resurrection that morning, Jesus was a Jewish rabbi, so at about 30 years old, he began his public ministry. He began to call disciples, and he began to take his disciples around and teach them his way or his yoke of living out the Torah and understanding um, the law of God. So he began to teach them this message of following him, and you would think that they would understand after three years of following him the message. But even after watching him die on a cross, and then even that Sunday morning, that Easter Sunday morning, they're not expecting it. <clears throat> if you think about it, for most great revolutionaries in history, the message that they were carrying carried on long after they did <clears throat> because the movement was centered around their message. <clears throat> Hang on a second, I'm losing my voice here. So I'm gonna take some more water. I hate colds this time of year. <clears throat> so they were looking for the, uh, this message to keep going even after Jesus was gone. If you think about most revolutionaries, that's exactly what's happened. The, the revolution kept going because it was centered around their message, not them. Take Martin Luther King Jr., for example. This is 1963. He's standing at the, at the mall in Washington, and he's giving the I Have a Dream speech, Right? That's the great message that he delivered. And so even on April 4th, 1968, when Martin Luther King was assassinated, his movement kept going. The civil rights movement just kept moving along because it wasn't centered around Martin Luther King himself. It was centered around the dream, right? And the dream mattered then. And my friends, the dream still matters today. He talked about and so the movement kept going even though he was dead because it wasn't centered around him as a person. It was centered around the message that he had, the dream. But if you think about Jesus, the thing that separates Jesus from every other great revolutionary is that for Jesus, his entire message centered around him. Jesus didn't tell people to put their faith and their trust in his ideas, <coughs> even though he had great ideas. He never told people to put their trust in his teachings, even though his teachings were revolutionary. He called people to put their trust in him personally. He, he claimed to actually be the message. Unlike any other revolutionary leader in history, he said, it's me. I'm the message. I'm the mission. It's all centered about, around me. Let me show you what I'm talking about. These are a couple of things that Jesus said, and the gospels are filled with these kinds of statements. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Now notice what he does not say here. He does not say, I know the secret of resurrection and life. In fact, come here and I'll whisper it in your ear. I know the secret. He, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. If you wanna have eternal life, if you wanna live even after dying, it's in me personally. In another place in John 14, he says to his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Not I know the secret or I know the way. I, I happen to know it. Come here, I've got a map, I'll show you. 
It says, I am the way. All through the Old Testament, God identified himself to his people as the great I am. So Jesus in that same language says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's, it's not my ideas, it's me personally. So if you think about this, if you're the disciples and you've been following Jesus around and you've been listening to, his, to him say these kinds of things, I am, I am, you're thinking to yourself, this is great, but if this guy, Jesus, dies, we are screwed, right? Because it's not about his ideas, it's not about his teachings, it's about him personally. If this guy, Jesus, dies, we're, we're in a mess, so when they watch him be led to the cross, when they watch him be crucified, they're thinking to themselves, the same thing the Romans and the same things that the Jewish authorities are thinking, it's over. The movement is dead. And, and the movement really should have died. It really should have died at the moment that Jesus breathed his last breath because the movement was centered around the person of Jesus. And, you know, all the four gospels tell the same story. Even before Jesus died, at his arrest, all his followers scatter. It'd be easy to think, well, maybe some of his followers, you know, after he died on the cross, maybe they said, well, hey, I'll take up the mantle. I'll take up the charge and, and I'll lead it forward. But all four gospels tell the same story. It's not the story you would want to tell. They all betray him. At his arrest, they scatter. They deny that they even know him. And there's nobody left. There's no heroes in the story. There's no heroes to take the revolution forward. And yet, fast forward to today, here we are. Here we are on Easter Sunday morning in this room celebrating the name of Jesus. To put that into some perspective, Caesar Augustus, he was the first emperor of Rome. He, uh, he made Roman Empire. He reigned for 40 years. And you may not have realized it, but Caesar Augustus claimed to be God incarnate. He claimed to be God in human form. And he went around asking people in his empire to proclaim him as Lord. So they would say, hail Caesar, Caesar is Lord. And today, if, you know, in this moment, the only reason that we know the name Caesar Augustus is outside of the history books anyway, is because Caesar Augustus' name is mentioned every Christmas in languages all over the world as a footnote to the story of the birth of a carpenter in Galilee who went nowhere, ruled nothing, was public for only three years, and then was crucified on a Roman cross. <laughs> Think about that. And yet the world over, millions of, and millions of people know the name of Jesus. And they proclaim him as Lord. Caesar Augustus, who's that? Who, who's that guy? And even at 300 years before there actually was a New Testament, as we know it in our Bible, people, after, after the death of Jesus, people kept putting their faith in Jesus. And the movement just kept growing, and it just kept growing, and it kept growing until it eventually just took over the empire. And people weren't putting their faith in Jesus' ideas. They weren't putting their faith in his teachings, even though he taught great things. They were putting their faith in Jesus himself. In fact, the, the very message was Jesus is not dead. Jesus is alive. And you can put your faith and your trust in him to save you too. And that's the message that the movement has just kept growing on and growing on and growing on even to this day, even right now. So, so the question I want us to think about is this question. Why is it then that people are still putting their faith in Jesus Christ 
2,000 years later? Why would people still be doing this all these years later when we've long since forgotten about all the other empires that have come and gone? The name of Caesar isn't remembered. There's really only two reasons. One uh, is maybe there's just been that many lunatics for that many centuries. Maybe there's literally been just millions of people who were delusional over and over again who have just kind of believed something that isn't true. I doubt it. The only other explanation to this question is that Jesus actually is alive. And he actually still is raising people from death to life. He actually is still calling people out of the grave. And that he actually has a new life for us. And and people keep, keep stepping into that and they keep finding that even after all these years later. John 10, this is another thing that Jesus said. He said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And we don't have to look very far in our world to understand that's true. We see stealing and killing and death and destruction all the time. But Jesus says, I have come. If you want to understand me, I have come that they may have life, that people could have life and have it to the full. And what did Jesus say about life? He said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Not through a principle or some idea, through me. And so on Resurrection Sunday, it's a really good thing to to talk about the resurrection. And that's what we've been doing. We've just been looking at the resurrection and the ideas behind it. But what's even better than just talking about the resurrection on, on Resurrection Sunday is to actually experience resurrection, right? I mean, that's what transformed the, the women and all the disciples is they went to an empty tomb and they actually experienced the resurrection. And so I want us to experience something right now. I'm gonna introduce you to someone. Her name is Faith. And uh, in a moment, you're gonna watch a video. Uh, it's a five minute long video and Faith is gonna tell you her story. But just to Set it up a little bit here. Faith comes to Frontline. She's a part of our church. So she sits in the chairs you're sitting in. She's been coming and being a part of our church. And Faith, at a very young age, found herself in a really difficult situation that she had very little control over. Uh, At the mercy of a court and a judge, because of some things that her parents did and decided, Faith found herself having to grow up a lot faster than the rest of us. And so at 16 years old, she's standing before the judge, and basically the judge uh, has the power to decide either to emancipate her, which basically means at 16 years old, she becomes an adult, she's on her own, or she goes into the foster care system. And so I'll let her pick up the story and tell you where it went from there. Growing up, life was good. Um, Although my dad was in and out of jail, I spent a majority of the time with my grandparents. As I got older, at the age of 16, um, my father had gotten a sentence uh, for five years in prison. So from there, I um, took my case to the courts. I was emancipated, the only emancipation that judge had ever done in his life. Um, I think a big part was that my grandmother showed up for the hearing and she you know, was able to kind of ex- explain my backstory. Um, after emancipation, I was very scared, very afraid. I felt alone. I felt that this, I didn't know who to turn to because I felt like there was no one there. So um, by the time I was, you know, I had finished high school and 18 years old, off to college on my own. And for the needs, financial needs that I found, I started dancing to, um, to fill, fulfill those financial needs. 
I thought it was a means to an end. And I thought that, you know, once my college was paid, that would be it. I, I wouldn't hear of this again. And that would just be something I had done to get what I needed. It wasn't what I had expected my life to go. But as I started realizing that it's really a lifestyle, it had a hold on my life similar to an addiction. I felt a lot of depression and anxiety. And um, I made a lot of bad choices when I led that lifestyle. It was a very self-centered lifestyle. After college, I, I, um, I received a very good, I worked for, interviewed, and accepted a really good job um, as a paralegal. Um, at there, I met my now fiance, and, um, but still as I was working, I was finding it difficult to, the, the income and the bills, I was very used to the fast, easy money. So um, I was still part-time dancing while I was working full-time. So it was not something that was a men's doing eat. It had a, a hold on my life. And, and God was the only one that could break that. When I was rescued, I had Justin in my life. And we were pretty new into our relationship when we found out that we were expecting. Um, I was very unsure if this was something, if I could even be a mom, you know, I, I definitely didn't have the mom lifestyle and I, I was nervous and scared, but I just leaned in my faith that he wouldn't put something in my life that I, I couldn't, wouldn't be able to do. On this past Sunday, I was made new and it's, it's one of those commitments that, you know, I had set my mind to it, but every day I had to say, you know, I'm working towards this. I have to be here for this baptism, you know, and I'm telling people I'm getting baptized. So they're saying, well, she's, they're looking at the way I'm living my life because I've made this decision and I've committed my heart to God. And I think everybody in my heart, in my family and my friends, they, they see that and they see what they, what he's done for me in my life. I mean, it's, it's hard to tell the future. It's, um, still one of those things that it's in God's hands, but I know that it's something big, that the best is yet to come, and that it's something that I can't quite imagine. I'm working towards um, possibly retaking my LSAT for law school. Um, I've also looked at owning our own business or starting a business, a rehab facility. So I, I really want to be in a position that I can help other people. How do I see myself today is completely different than um, how I looked at myself two weeks ago, let alone two years ago. Um, two years ago, I was based in, well, let's say three years ago, I was, I based my worth on money or, or on what I looked like. Um, but now I don't have to carry that weight because I'm a child of God. I see grace when I look at myself um, because I couldn't have done it without Him. You know, everything in my life, I had to let go the control because I'm, I'm not in control. And, I, and for a very long time, I thought I was. Um, but just the grace that he has on people's life because um, all the shame that I felt, I've asked for forgiveness. I've been forgiven and I've let that go. You know, nobody else can hold shame on me or my life because I'm a child of God and he's taken that from me. My name is Faith. I've been rescued and made new.
And the best proof, the best evidence of the resurrection to me is people like Faith. To be honest with you, as a pastor, that's what keeps me in the game, is, is people like Faith for, for thousands of years have been making their way to the tomb of Jesus with all this baggage, with all this shame, with all the a past and guilt from things they've done, things they've experienced, it's, you know, embarrassing secrets they wouldn't want anybody else in the room to know. And they come to the tomb of Jesus and again and again and again, they find it empty. And, and they, they have this encounter with the resurrected Jesus where they say, from now on, from this moment forward, I'm living a new life. From this moment forward, he's my Lord and, and my life is not my own. It's been bought, bought at a price and it belongs to Jesus. And, and it becomes the beginning, a starting point, not a finish line so much as it becomes a starting line of a story that God wants to unfold, a, an unexpected journey that maybe you didn't even think was possible or could happen and God just begins to unfold more and more and more in your life. I've seen it, him do it again and again and again. He's done it with me. And so, Jesus this morning is the only one who can give us new life because Jesus is the only one who rose from the grave, who conquered death, and who holds in his hand the keys of life and death itself. He's the only one. And so this morning, I want to uh, give you an invitation. When we confess Jesus as Lord, not Caesar as Lord, not anybody else as Lord, not any other, not ourselves or our own merit, when we confess Jesus as Lord, what we're doing and what Faith was talking about there in that video is we're basically giving Jesus our past and we're asking him to forgive us of our past. And then we are giving him our future. And we're saying from now on, from this moment on, it's a starting line, I'm living a new life. I have this new life in you. There's nothing that, there's nothing that can be put on me or held back on me. I'm living a new life in Christ. The most simple way to explain how to do that that I know of in scripture is Romans 10. It says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. So here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to give you an opportunity to do that right now. I don't know how, what you came here this morning expecting. Maybe, maybe this morning you came in just weighed down with all kinds of guilt and shame and thoughts of, man, I hope nobody sees or recognizes me or, or knows my past. Or maybe you came in here this morning just ambivalent, not angry or not fired up any direction, just sort of like, ah, well, tomorrow's just basically gonna go back to the same old, same old. And this morning, maybe God's calling you to be the next one, to journey to the tomb, to find it empty, and to start a new life in Him. So would you do me a favor? Would you bow your heads with me? And I wanna lead you right now, if that's you, if you know right now, it's time for me to, to stop running from God. I need to just confess him as Lord. I need to just surrender my life to him and start a new life in him, start anew and be made new like Faith was talking about in that video. Or maybe for some of you, you grew up in this, but you ran from God and maybe it's just, I need to come home. I need to surrender my life back to the Father. He's calling me, he's drawing me to himself. And it's a moment for you to just come back home and it's, it's to be made new in Him. If that's you, I wanna lead you right now. And it's not so much a prayer as it is a confession. So I want you to say this with me. Jesus, I believe. I believe you are the Son of God. I confess my sin to you. I recognize I'm a sinner and I ask you to forgive me. And right now I ask 
you, Lord, to give me a new life. I confess you as Lord, and I ask you to cleanse me and give me a new life from this moment on in you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can look up. If, if that was you, if you prayed that prayer, we believe you were made new. We believe that you just started a new life with Jesus and you've been saved. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna ask you to do something that's gonna be kind of bold. It's a bold move. And again, maybe you didn't come here this morning expecting to do this. Uh, but what I wanna ask you to do is in a moment, we're gonna all stand and we're gonna sing this song together, just declaring everything that we've been talking about this morning, declaring this hope that we have, this new life in Jesus. And here's what I wanna ask you to do. In a moment, I want you to stand up and be the first one, first ones to stand. If you prayed that prayer and if you genuinely meant it in your heart and you just, you just began a journey with Jesus, a new life in him. So I'm literally, in a minute, I'm gonna to count to three and then I want you to stand up with all the lights on and you know everybody looking around. And I want you just to go ahead and stand up. And here's why I'm gonna ask you to do that. Not yet, but what, the reason I'm gonna ask you to do that is because Sometimes, you know, when it's an Easter Sunday like this and people come to church, it, it, you know, people make a decision or they, they, they think about God in a new way and then they go out of this place and life goes back to normal and tomorrow and the next day and this next week, you're gonna think to yourself, was that real? I mean, did that really matter? Or was that just some moment in a church service? So something happens when we make it public. Something happens when we stick a stake in the ground and we say, from this moment on, from now on, no more the old life, it's a new life. And we make it public. And so that's why I'm gonna ask you to stand up and just declare it and be public. And here's what we're gonna do. When I count to three and you stand up, what we're gonna do in this room is all the rest of us in this room are going to lose our minds. We're gonna go crazy and we're gonna clap and we're gonna cheer. And the reason we're gonna do that is because we are the church and what we do is we are centered around the person of Jesus Christ. We're centered around the risen, resurrected Savior, and we celebrate new life. We celebrate resurrection. We celebrate when people move from death to life. That's what we do as the church. That's who we are. And so we, we're gonna do that. So um, seriously, don't think about the person next to you. Don't think about what other people are thinking. This is about you. It's about the decision you've made and declaring that before God. So I'm gonna count to three, you ready? And when I count to three, I want you to stand up if that's you. Here we go. One, two, three. Stand up. If you made that decision, stand up in this place. Way to go. that in you there is new life, that in you there is hope, that in you there is a, a, we can be made new and have a new tomorrow. So from now on, God, from this moment on, we are living in you. Our, our past and our shame, there is nobody, there is nothing, not even death itself can lay a claim to us. We are yours. We are a child of God. I thank you for those who are standing. God, would you be glorified and honored. And it's with our voices that we sing and declare these praises to you. And with it's, it's with our lives that we live out the truth of the resurrection. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Would you join those who are standing and let's just get celebrating this place. We need to celebrate what God's done.